here, and, and if you've been following us, I've kind of kind of been just playing along with this. This is chapter one, this is chapter two type stuff. Well, I've got news for you today. We're not in chapter one today. We're not in chapter two today, but we are in chapter three. And if you've been with us, hopefully you, you've been expecting to experience something good to happen in chapter three, because up to this point, it's been doom and gloom. It's been hard. It's been difficult. If you haven't been with us, let me give you a little bit of a backstory of this book of Habakkuk. Some of the stuff, it might be hard for you to understand. You'd have to kind of go back and listen to the first two because this is like a to-be-continued type of sermon. But Habakkuk is a minor prophet in the Old Testament that lived and he prophesied around 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Habakkuk was different in the way that he ministered. How was he different? Well, most prophets, what they would do is they would receive a word from God, and then they would go on ahead and speak to those to the people in behalf of God. In other words, they say, this is what God has told me, so listen to these words. Habakkuk was different, though. What he did is he spoke to God in behalf of the people. And what he said was wrong. What he said was real. What he said was Filled with emotion. And I believe this is one of the most rawest books in the Bible because he doesn't hold anything back. Essentially, what he says to God is, God, I don't like what it is that you're doing. Some of us are saying, can I say that to God? Can I tell God that I don't like what you're doing? Because he did. God, why don't you seem fair? Chapter 1 of the book of Habakkuk is all about what so many of us do. This brother finds himself wondering. He's wondering why he sees with his, what, what, what he sees with his eyes. Why is it that what I see with my eyes is different from what I believe in my heart about you, God? Why is it so often that we believe that God can do something? We think that he will, yet he doesn't. Has that been you at one point or another in your life? Habakkuk finds himself wondering, God, why don't you seem fair? Chapter 2, in which we covered last week, is all about waiting. It's all about waiting, which is very difficult to do. So many of us, of us, especially now in this day of age, where we're ready for things to download in a second. Waiting is difficult. God, where are you? Where are you? Are some of the words kind of like they, that are, 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 we're listening from Habakkuk in this chapter. And then God goes on ahead and he speaks to Habakkuk. Here's what, I, here's what I'm going to tell you is what God says. I'm about to do something. And what I'm about to do is going to amaze you. You wouldn't even believe it if I were to tell you. Some of us, sometimes if we're praying to God for a while, finally God responds to us that way in the beginning of his response. I, if I'm Habakkuk, I'm like, wow, God, you're finally going to come through. Something good is going to happen. But God says, no, hold up. Actually, I'm going to raise up your enemies, the Babylonians, who are worse than you and worse than the rest of your enemies. And they're going to destroy you. These are the words. Why? Because of the sin and all that stuff. You'd have to really read into the details of, of the, the judgment that was coming upon that people. I can imagine Habakkuk saying, man, I was confused, God, but now I am really, really confused. This is your answer to my prayer? In chapter 2, he's waiting on the promises from God to come true. The reality is that some of you guys are, are here today, and you are in what I call the waiting zone. You're in the waiting zone. God, when are you going to hear my prayer? 
But if you remember last week, there was a verse that we focused on a lot. And I want to see for those of you who was taking notes, it says, though it linger, what? Wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it, were the words from God to Habakkuk. Though it linger, though the promises that I have for you, though it linger, wait for it. Why? Why? Because when it's not God's time, listen to me, church, you cannot force it. You may try to force it, and you realize, man, I made a bigger mess. When it's not God's time, you can't force it. When it's God's time, guess what? You can't stop it. Chapter 2 is all about waiting. But here where we're going to be focusing on, which is chapter 3, there seems to be a change of tone. If you read all of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, all the way up to the very last verse of chapter 2, you see you're understanding, you're feeling the, 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 the agony, this kind of disappointment, this wandering of Habakkuk. Why, God, aren't you doing what it is that I want you to do? And again, some of you may feel that way in your life right now. But the end of chapter 2, the very last verse, which we hit last week, Habakkuk says this. In his mind and in the words that we're reading, he's saying, man, I'm confused, I'm wandering, I'm doubting. And then he says but the Lord. Everybody say, but the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. This is key. This shows you where Habakkuk is mentally. He's saying, this is hard. This news is difficult to process that I'm praying for something to happen, and it's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, things are going to get worse before they could even get better. Our enemy is going to come. They're going to destroy us. Judgment's going to be placed on us. But the Lord is still in his throne. But God is still on the throne. And then he says, let all the earth be silent before him. It's a little bit like the psalm that says, sometimes you just have to be still and let him be God. I'm hurting. I'm confused. I don't understand. But the Lord is in his holy you see, in chapter 3, suggests some kind of reset. Verse 1 is a verse that you would likely just read on by, but, but there is a verse in verse 1 that I want to, a word in verse 1 that I want to bring to your attention. If you've got your Bible, if you've got it open to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 1, I'm not sure if on the passage on the, on the program we have it has it, but it starts off like this. A prayer, and, and a lot of times you'll see this, You'll see this um, in the, when you're reading the Psalms. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Sigjignal. That's the word that I want you guys to focus on. Everybody say that word for me. Oh, man, it's fun to hear you have to pronounce this stuff. Sigjignal is actually a plural, and you see it in, in the Bible when you're reading it. On your Bible, you'll see a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, and then on like kind of like may, maybe some Bibles have it in italics, it has this. This is a plural of sigjin. Sigjin is actually a word that's used only one time in the Bible. It's used in Psalms chapter 7. Sigjignach is also only used one time. It's actually used in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. These words we don't really know a lot about. But what we do know is that they are directions of how to sing a song or a psalm. So in other words, when you would see that word, 
or any other words like that in italic in the Bible. It was telling the people that were going to read it, maybe in the temple, whatever the case is, this is the way you need to read this. It's a musical term. It's instructing a congregation of people how to sing. It means to sing with strong emotion, with impassioned exuberance. It means wild, passionate singing with rapid changing changes of rhythm. It means high-spirited praise, vigorous enthusiasm. And see, what I want you to understand about Habakkuk chapter 3 is this, is that he is doing this. He is saying this to the Lord full body. He's all in. He's exuberant in his worship to God. But catch this. He's doing that before God did what he wanted God to do. Before he sees God fulfill a promise, before God answers his prayer, he's already going to God with all that he's got. Sometimes the most passionate, listen to this, authentic praise is actually the praise that comes before the provision. Sometimes the most passionate, authentic praise is actually the praise that comes before the provision. What I mean by that is sometimes you will worship God. Sometimes you will pray with all of your tears. Sometimes you would ask God with all of your heart before God actually gives you what it is that you are asking for. Why? Because you want it so bad. You want it so bad. It's praise that is simply based on faith. It's praising God not for the what, but for the who. See, a lot of us praise God for the for, for, for the what. A lot of us praise God or look for God because of what we want, because of what he is capable of doing for us. But it's when you understand that you ought to praise God not for the what, but for who he is, man, it changes everything for you. It's not for what you have done. It's not for what I think you're going to do. This is just praise for who you are for your character, for your nature, for your goodness, for your glory. It's praise for the who, not praise for the what. It's sigignot. It's praise before anything happens. And in verse 2, we see Habakkuk say this to the Lord. Listen to this. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, he says, repeat them. He says, do it again, God. He says, repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. He says in wrath because he knows the judgment is coming to judge them. But he says, God, remember your mercy. Do it again is what Habakkuk is saying. God, I've seen you do it before. And even before you do it, I'm going to praise you, believing God that you're going to do it again. God, I've seen you've worked. I know that you can do it. Do it again. He's saying, I'm praising you, God, not even for what is going on, God, but just for who you are. What do you do? What do you do, church, when life gets difficult? What do you do when life gets hard? The first week we talked about sometimes you experience the goodness of God. I know this has been all you guys at one point or another. You're kind of on that high, man. You're on that high. You, you thank God. You say, man, God, you're amazing. I love you, God. You, you've answered my prayers. You're fantastic. God, I feel you. And then something bad happens. You lose your job. You've got bad news. You pray for something, and, and you don't get what it is that you've prayed for. You find yourself 
wanting something, and you know that God can give it to you at very, very easily at a snap of a finger, yet he doesn't. And then you go on ahead and you experience what I mentioned in week one, what Henry Blackerby calls a crisis of belief. God, I thought you were going to do this, but I find myself in a different place. So many people, when they hit the crisis of belief, they think two things. I'm just going to pretend like nothing's happening. I'm going to kind of just deny it. I'm going to go back to the state of bliss with God. Other people say, you know what, because I'm in this position, you know what, forget it, God. You know what, you must not be real since you're not answering my prayers, so forget you. I'm just going to walk away from you. What do you do when you see with your eyes? What you see with your eyes is different from what you believe in your heart, and you find yourself stuck in a valley. What do you do when you're crying out to God, believing that he's going to hear your prayer, he'll move in a way and bring relief and bring blessings or bring provision, yet God doesn't? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about two things that you need to do during that season because the reality is Jesus says in this world you will have suffering. Not always are you going to be on the top of the mountain. There's going to be lots of times where you are going to be stuck. There's going to be lots of times, even as a Christ follower, listen, if you're new to this, when you accept Jesus Christ in your life as your personal Savior, it doesn't mean you're going to walk on clouds every single day of your life. No, life is going to get hard. There's going to be conflict. It's going to be difficult. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to be, you're going to be discouraged many, many times. So what we learn from this book is what I want to teach you, that maybe you're in that season or you're going to go into that season or maybe you're coming out of that season. I want you to know what to do during that time in the valley. I don't have to tell you much to do when you're on the mountaintop because you're just jumping around for joy. But when you're in the valley, what do you do? The first thing we're going to do is what we see here back again. We're going to remember. If you're taking notes, write this down. Remember the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. When you're in that valley, when you're stuck, When life is hard, life is discouraging, remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We're going to remember. Somebody say remember. Verse 3 says this. Habakkuk says this. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Huron. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the temple. You see, when you hear these, these places, you may think, oh, this doesn't mean anything to me. But listen, these places were very meaningful to Habakkuk. Why? Because these were the two places where God had took his people for refuge after delivering them from Egyptian bondage. You see, he's saying, God, I am remembering, listen, God, I am remembering when we didn't think there was any way. But you... But we thought that our our, our people would be in bondage forever. But God, you moved the heart of Pharaoh. What Habakkuk is saying, God, even though this is difficult right now, even though you're you're obviously saying you're not going to change this situation right now, I am stuck in this valley, but I am choosing to remember, God, when you split open that Red Sea and you allowed us to walk through the dry land. God, I am going to remember when you destroyed our enemies as they pursued us behind. God, I'm going to remember when you were faithful. 
God, I think back to your goodness. God, I know that you can do it again. Listen, if you're here today and God has done something for you in your past, then you've got to remember that sometimes. Don't forget. It is hard. It's easy to forget because next, when you're in this new season of trial, you're just kind of stuck in that trial. That trial is smacking you in the face, and sometimes you can't see that. That's when you need to remember, God, I've seen you move mountains for me. I believe that you will do it again. Verses 4, 5, and 6, Habakkuk says this of God. He says, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed, flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. And what did God do? He says, he stood and shook the earth. He looked and he made the nation tremble. He said, I remember your faithfulness. I remember your goodness. I remember your justice. I remember your presence. I remember God when you were glorified through what you did. And if you read forward to the verses 7 through 15, this is kind of what Habakkuk does. He's talking back about the justice and the faithfulness of God. Here's what probably Habakkuk could, could have done. These are some of the thoughts that he may, may have also been thinking. He could have remembered some of the things that God had did for other people. Perhaps maybe he said, God, I remember when you provided for the people with manna from heaven, when they thought they were going to starve, but you provided manna from heaven with meat from a bird. God, I remember when they were thirsty and they thought they were going to all just go on ahead and die of thirst, but yet you provided water from a rock. I remember that, God. He could have said, I remember when you shut the mouth of those hungry lions to deliver Daniel from them. He could have said, I remember when you were with those three Hebrew children in that fiery furnace, but on the other side they came out unburned. I remember, God, when you raised from the dead. I remember when you spoke life into the valley of the dry bones and they came alive. Listen, church, sometimes when you are in the valley, you just simply have to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Sometimes you've got to go back through your life and remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Sometimes you've got to go back and say, God, I remember that I was stuck in addiction, but man, you took me out of that. I remember when my marriage was on the fringe of, of divorce, but yet, Lord, you came in and you rescued that. I remember when my child had veered away from serving you, but God, you went out and you bring them back to you. I remember when I was stuck in the season of depression so much that I could barely move. I was stuck in my room and I would cry all night, but God, you rescued me from that. You got to remember. You got to remember. Don't be stuck thinking of the valley that you're in. Say, God, I've been in a valley before, and I know you can bring me out of it again. Maybe you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You say, man, pastor, I'm in that valley right now. You place your faith in Jesus Christ and trust that in the proper time, he will rescue you from that valley. What do you do when you're in the valley? You remember the goodness of God. The second thing that you do, before I get to the second thing that you do, let me tell you what not to do. All right? The second thing you do not do is don't just endure when you're in the valley. What is enduring? Enduring is a kind of passive response to something that is happening to, you, happening to you. Don't just endure. In other words, don't just sit there and kind of just passively take it. What we do when we're in the valley is this, number two, embrace and believe that God is still good. 
first. You remember the goodness of God and then embrace and believe that God is still good. We embrace what he's doing. If you think about Habakkuk in this situation, he felt like the enemy probably. The Babylonians were winning. He looked and he recognized, man, this is bad. As a matter of fact, not only is this bad, but it's about to get worse. However, we see from Habakkuk is that what, he, what we see is that he embraced the situation. And with everything in him, he still declared that my God is still on the throne. You see that? That even though it was difficult, he's still saying, but God knows what he's doing. He's God and I'm not. My God has always been good. My God is faithful. What I, what I love about this is this is not just some sort of state of denial from Habakkuk. This isn't just a pretend like it's not true. This is looking at the bad news head on, face to face, and still declaring, I still trust my God with everything in me. I continue to embrace his goodness. I, run, I wonder how many of you have been in that season where although, and I've heard, as a pastor, I get to talk to many of you guys. I get to sit down and listen to your stories. And I have seen many of you embrace God through difficult seasons. That even though this is hard, but I still know that God is good. Watch this as Habakkuk does this. See, in chapter 3, man, this is power. Chapter 1 is wandering. Chapter 2 is waiting. Chapter 3, watch as he embraces in verse 16. He says to God this. I heard and my heart pounded. I heard and my heart pounded. Let me stop right there really, really quickly. I want to pause for a moment and just clarify something. This is not when he says, I hurt and my heart pounded. This is not like, oh my gosh, this girl, she looks so good. When she flips her hair, it smells so good and my heart is pounding. It's not that type of, uh, of emotion that he's feeling. This is the kind that's like, man, this is bad news. You know, you know your heart has pounded many times. One time for the good stuff, you know, for all you Cub fans and you were waiting for that last out and everybody's heart is pumping, pumping, pumping. Or this is that, but, but, but your heart has pumped sometimes when you've heard bad news. I know I've heard some bad news sometimes and I can li literally hear my heart kind of just a pulse in my ear. This is, this, is, this is what he's talking about right here. This is the kind of, I heard some really bad news and I am scared to death. He says this, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. The cave crept into my bones and my legs trembled. God just told me he's going to raise up the Babylonians and destroy the people that I love. He says this, though, even though that, he says this, yet I will wait. Everybody say, yet I will wait. Patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He says, it's bad. It's going to get worse. It's going to get brutal. There's going to be some tremendous suffering. And then he says this, and this is one of my favorite passages in the verse. I know you guys say, Pastor, you always say that's the, one of your favorite. I got many favorite. That means I'm reading the Bible. Hopefully you guys are too. But this is one that sometimes when I have been in a difficult season, which I have been, where I feel like, man, I'm stuck, where I feel like, man, life is hard, or ministry is hard, or being a pastor is hard, or satisfying everyone is hard. I, I find this. He says this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, 
Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Stop right there. This was, they didn't have McDonald's at every corner. This is their way of, this was their way of life. The fruits, the vegetables, the animals that they would eat and they would sell, the way of life. What he's saying, even though we have absolutely nothing, for you, you might say it this way. Though I'm still praying and I'm not seeing an answer. Though we're still believing, maybe, maybe we're believing that we can conceive and yet we haven't conceived. Though I'm still asking God for a job, I'm still asking God for a provision, I'm still asking God for healing, for a blessing, for an answer, and I still have not seen it. Though we lost something so valuable and we don't understand it, Habakkuk then says this, even though I lose everything, even though I am not seeing anything good up on the horizon, he says this, yet I will rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. In the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. You know, one time someone asked me, hey, they sent me a text, hey, Pastor, how are you doing? It was a difficult season for me right now. It, at, at that moment, it was hard. And I just, this is the verse that popped up to, to mind. And I just sent him this verse. Though life is hard, though life is difficult, though life feels like it's crashing down on us, though this world looks like it's, man, it's just going kaputs with all the violence and all the crime and all this ugliness that we say, God, where are you? Even though we are in the midst of this, even though we are seeing this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. There are dozens of reasons why I may not want to rejoice, but this isn't a half-hearted song to God, remember? When we read the beginning of this, this is sigzignos. This is the full body. This is full soul. Everything within me declaring the praise and the goodness and the glory of God. Even though I don't see what I want to see, what is Habakkuk doing? He's wrestling with God. You catch that? He's wrestling with God like, like, like he's saying, but God, but man, even though this and this and that, but yet he still embraces. But God, even though I don't understand what's happening, I don't understand why you're doing this, I'm still embracing you for who you are. I'm still trusting you for who you are. He's wrestling and he's embracing. This isn't a half-hearted, partial declaration of God. This comes from the depths of his soul. This is a faith that worships when everything is not right. And my, my prayer for you is that you would have a soul that worships God even though everything is just not right. This is a faith that gives God praise when you don't like what it is that you see. This is a cry from the depths of our heart, believing in the goodness of God in the middle of pain. This is chapter 3, Sig Zignos. This is praise before provision. This is praise without exclam with exclamation points. Not for the what, but for the who. Remember in the beginning, I told you what the name Habakkuk means. It means to wrestle and embrace. The name Habakkuk means to wrestle, meaning I don't understand, God. This is difficult, God. How long am I going to kind of be in this, God? But yet, it means I will embrace and trust in you. I remember when I was first-time parent, and my wife and I had to take Emily. She's a little older already now. Uh, you know, enough where she can speak 
and we had to take her to the doctor for, for, for some of her shots. If you were a nurse back then and you had to deal with my daughter, you probably were going home with a couple bruises. I'm just telling you. She is she's still very, very strong, but she was always strong. She hated it. She fought it. She kicked. I won't, I won't go there. But I remember when I'm holding my daughter and she's sitting there. And now the nurse comes and, you know, the kids are, especially the young kids, they're paying attention to everything that the, the nurses, the phlebotomists, or whatever they're, 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 they're doing. So she's setting everything up, and all of a sudden, they put the, the band on her, they go on ahead, and they grab the needle. You know, they're doing their thing, and she starts looking at me right away. And she's, okay, we're going to give you whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and she's right away, she knows it. She's moving around. She's holding on to me kind of with one hand because the other hand they've got, and I'm trying to hold that, that arm. And she's like, no, Daddy, no, don't let them do this to me. She looked at me with those eyes, man, as a parent, especially as a first-time parent, you feel like, man, I'm betraying my child. Because you're supposed to be there to rescue them. You're supposed to be there to save them. And yet, Daddy, why are you letting them do this to me? And she wrestled with me. She didn't want to let go of me. And I knew as her father that this is something that needed to happen. If not, I would have stopped it, right? She didn't understand. So she wrestled with me. But what I want you to understand is, although she wrestled with me, she didn't let go of me. You see that? She wrestled and she embraced. In chapter 1, church, we see in the story of Habakkuk, don't walk away from God when life is hard. When you're praying and your, your answers aren't being, your prayers aren't being answered. Don't walk away from him. In chapter 2, we see, don't quit on God. Don't quit on him. And in chapter 3, even if he doesn't change the circumstances, listen, if you continue to embrace him, he will change your perspective. Habakkuk, he doesn't resolve, Habakkuk doesn't resolve to make the most of a bad situation. It, it's, it, it's so much deeper than that. What he does is he looks the truth in the face and he says, listen, this isn't good. Like sometimes we need to do. The situation that I'm in right now, it's not good. He says, it's going to get worse. He says, there's no, according to the passage he wrote, there's no grapes coming. There's no blossoms coming. There's only judgment coming. But he says, the Lord is still in his temple. He's still worthy of praise. And as we get ready to finish up here, here's, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see and I want, what I want you to understand. If you've been with me for these last two weeks, waiting for that happy ending. God never does what Habakkuk wants him to do. He never does it. Remember, remember I told you, this isn't a sitcom sermon. You know, with the sitcom, everything's good, things get bad, something happens, things get better, and by the end of those 30 minutes, including commercials, life is great again. How many people here understand that life is not a sitcom? Some of us have been in that same episode, and they've been like, hey, it's been 10 years, 30 years, 40 years, and it still hasn't been resolved. In this book, there's never that, okay, now it gets all better. That never happens. But church, as your pastor, what I do want you to see is the very last verse of this book in chapter 3. What do you do when you're waiting, the very last verse in chapter 3 says this, of verse 19. It says, 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. Habakkuk says, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. What does God do? He says, he enables me to tread on the heights. What he's saying is, even in this difficult situation, God takes me to a more intimate place, to a place of greater faith. That even though I'm in a storm and even though things aren't getting resolved, God is taking me to a new place. Here's what I know as your pastor. Here's what I know about God. I know this. I know that I enjoy God on the mountaintop, but I get to know him best in the valley. I enjoy God on the mountaintop, but I get to know him best in the valley. You can say the same thing for some of your good friends or family members. You know, when things are all good, yeah, it's fun. You enjoy that. But you really get to truly know people when you are at the lowest of your lows. Those people that are still sticking with you. You end up getting some of your best friends right now or the closest siblings that you have or relationships with your parents is because, man, you guys have gone through some ugly stuff together. You only know them that good because you were both in the valley together, not because you were out celebrating on the mountaintop. So I know that I get to enjoy God on the mountaintop, but I get to know him in the valleys. I love to praise him for what? For the what? But in the valleys, I simply get to praise him for who he is. And sometimes, church, listen, sometimes what is, not always, but what is holding God from answering your prayer is that he's saying to you, you are praying and focusing your prayer all on the what it is that you want from me to do. How about you shift that and you begin to feverently pray and worship me for who I am, your God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Worship me for who I am, not what I can do for you. I like to brag about Jesus Christ on the mountaintop, but man, I get to know him intimately in the valley. And church, when you start having this perspective of God, then you can kind of be like what James says in, in the book of James chapter 1 when he says, I can consider it pure joy whenever I don't understand, whatever I, whenever I face trials of many kinds because I know that these trials, I understand and I know that in these hardships, they're going to do something in me. These hardships are going to develop me. They're going to develop perseverance and that perseverance must finish its work so that I may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James was saying, i got to go through some of the stuff so that I can be spiritually mature and not lack nothing. Because it's in the fire where you grow, in the fire where you learn if you don't give up on God. There's someone here today that maybe it's time to praise God even though you don't see it. Someone here today or watching us online needs to hear this, and that is it's time to praise God even though you don't see it. It's time to praise God even though you don't feel it. Is that, does, is that a thing? Yeah. I pray. I have to sometimes, I, even as, a, my, as a being your pastor, I have to sometimes force myself to begin to praise God because of circumstances or situations that happen in life. I have to put on that song that I know is going to drop me on my knees and raise my hands up to God. Someone needs to hear that it's time to cry out and praise him, not just for what you see or what you don't, but for who he is from everything in the inside of you. What I want you to understand is that you cannot have, listen, what I want you to understand, because so many of us want that top level mountaintop experience with God. 
We want it. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to be on a high the whole time? But you can't have chapter 3 type intimacy without chapter 1 type wondering and without the chapter 2 type waiting. You can't get that level of intimacy if you haven't gone through it. There's something God does in us, a trust, a faith, a passion. What do you do, church? What do you do when you are in the valley? You remember the goodness of God. You embrace him. You may wrestle. Hey, I don't understand. Like my daughter, you may be wrestling. Dad, don't let them do this to me. But don't let go. You can wrestle with God. But don't let go. For those of you here today that maybe you're going to recognize that you don't have what it is that I'm talking about, that you don't have that intimacy, you don't have a confidence, a strength, an assurance with God, what happens? You may be very low right now for whatever circumstance may be. And I'm convinced that sometimes God may allow us to get low. I'm convinced that sometimes God would allow us to get so low that there's nowhere else to look but up. You're hurting. You may be here today and you may be desperate. You may feel alone even though you're with an army of people. You feel guilty. Maybe you're here today and you feel ashamed. You feel broken. What do you do? What do you do? I'm here to tell you that you're not here today by accident. Or you're not listening to this sermon via Facebook or online by accident. You're here because the reality is that God cares for you and God loves you. Maybe you've been waiting on something for a long time. What about this? What if maybe God is waiting on you? Maybe he's waiting on you. Maybe he's ready for you to say yes to his grace. Maybe he's waiting for you to say yes to his goodness to his gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God, perfect in every way, who was without sin, who was obedient to his Father, obedient to God's call for him, and he he died on the cross. In our place, us being sinful people, he died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice, and he rose again from the dead. Why? So that anyone, including you, who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be saved, would be forgiven, would be transformed. You say, no, Pastor, you don't know what I did. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I have been. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved and forgiven. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark your life feels. When you call on Jesus Christ, he hears you. When you call on Jesus Christ, he hears you. When you pray, he forgives you for your your sins, and he makes you better than you. Why? Because when it's not God's time, you can't force it. But when it's God's time, you can't stop it. And I want you to recognize that maybe right now, maybe today is your time. Maybe today is the the day that you need to call on Jesus. If you do so, he'll meet you you do so, he'll save you. He is here and he's waiting for you. And actually you stand on your feet. And just close your eyes right where you're at. You can bow your head. 
want to make this an intimate moment with every head bowed and eyes closed. And if that's you today, if that's you today who you say, yeah, today's the day. Today's my time. It's time that I turn from my sins. It's time that I turn towards Jesus. By faith, I want to give my life to him. If that's you, listen, I'm not even going to ask you to come up. I'm just going to ask you, raise your hand right there where you're at. If you're watching us online and that's you, put a comment out. If you're listening to this sermon days later, make sure that you get in contact with us. But if that's you who says, man, today I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Today I want to begin to, although I may be wrestling with where I'm at, wrestling with the situation that I am, but I want to embrace God for who you say that he is. And not only do I want you to know God for who I say he is, but I want you to know God for who he is yourself. Father God, we come before you right now. And we thank you, Jesus Christ, for this time that you have given us here today. Lord, I pray, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, that we were able to go through this book, Father God. That we're able to see and learn some, some hard but valuable lessons. And that is, Father God, that sometimes we don't get what we ask for. Sometimes the, 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 the yes doesn't come to the prayer, the petition that we've given you. But the most beautiful thing that comes out of that, if we embrace you, is a new level of intimacy with you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that your church today would get to know you at an intimate level. That they would not know you just by, based on what someone says, but that they would know you because they have spent time with you. Because they have spoken to you because you have spoken to them through your word. I pray for those that are in a valley right now. I pray for those who, whose life it seems like they, it's a very difficult and dark season. God, I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be with them. That they would hang on to you, Father God. That they would continue to trust in you. That they would not walk away, God. That they would not run away from you. That they would not quit on you, God but that they would continue to know that you are on the throne. They would continue to know that you, Father God, are still in charge, that they would continue to know that you are still there and that you love them. Father, I pray for your church as we get ready to dismiss today, that you would be with us, that you would be with everyone as they go to their different places. Lord, as they go to get, go, some of them go to work or get ready for this work week, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would remind them Remind them, Father God, that you have called them to be the salt of the earth. You've called them to be the light of this world. You did not call them to blend in. You've called them to stand out and to reflect, God, your love, your love to a world that seems broken. And church, as we get ready to dismiss, I leave you with this blessing that we find in the Old Testament. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you peace. His peace that supersedes all understanding. The people of God say amen. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. You are dismissed. We love you. Don't forget to sign up for the church picnic in the back. Have a great day.